0: This is H.P. Mallory, best selling author of the Jolie Wilkins series. I clenched my eyes closed again, gripped the coverlet, and allowed Sci Fi Saturday Night to take me to my own nirvana. Sci Fi
1: Saturday
2: Night. Exterminate.
3: Computer status report. Don't blink. Don't
1: even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! It's
4: Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It's TalkCast87. Tonight we're celebrating Gene Wilder's birthday. So it's Willy Wonka Night here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in area 51 in the roll doll pavilion with my nut sorting squirrels, I am the dome. <laughs> Joining the talk cast tonight in the Austin Brighton bunker, it's Gum Chewing Violet Beauregard herself. Welcome, Kriana. What's going on there? Nothing? Just screaming. <laughs> From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, holder of the golden ticket himself, Illustrator X. I
5: saw the dome drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's. His hair was non existent.
4: And the woman he calls his golden ticket, our own Veruca Salt, the dead redhead.
2: Well, that just threw me off of what I was going to say, so I
4: lost. <laughs> <laughs> and from Outpost Gallifrey in Indiana, risen from the dead, the Oompa Loompa himself, Captain Segway, awake by Java.
6: No. It's a wonk An elevator can only go up and down, but the wonk can go sideways and slant ways and long ways and back ways and square ways and front ways and any other kind of ways that you can think of.
1: <laughs> That's. <cool>.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so, would you call yourself a, a chronic wonk
6: <laughs> Gene Wilder
4: is my wonka. happy birthday gene wherever you are (laughs) you know for the past two weeks we've been so involved in other things that we haven't really talked about uh uh, news in in a while and Um, every time we hit a uh one of those author special days we don't get a chance to like get to talk to other people and get to talk to news so i'd like to introduce if we could our uh, guest for the night tonight, it's author L. Neil Smith. Neal, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much.
4: And, Neal, you're going to be joining us for the entire show. And in the second half, we're going to be talking about Neal's book coming out in June, July.
1: July?
4: Oh, that's okay. We all thought it was September, and I don't know why. Sweeter than wine. <laughs> we'll be because X told us it was September. <laughs> I did not. You did. I have witnesses. You did. Okay. okay. <laughs> I
0: have
2: a recording. Everyone
5: is crazy except me.
2: <laughs> I have witnesses. In his own mind.
4: They have theirs to make you tell the truth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been an interesting week. And I think we want to start off with DC Comics, just for the hell of it. Because DC Comics, in their inimitable fashion, has decided once again. We're starting over.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, this
5: has been huge. I mean, basically, every comic that you had from DC for the last, oh, say, 70, 75 years, throw it away because it never happened. Uh, (laughs) They're rebooting everything. This is
2: getting really old. I mean, we just had the whole darkest night thing, and now they're doing this.
5: Well, again, what they're trying to do is tie in to newer audiences, do like Marvel's been doing, and and grab uh, more readers through the movies. And one of the big reasons they're doing this is they are going to start putting out their comics online the same day that the real comics hit the stores. This
0: is a smart decision.
4: Yeah, absolutely a good idea. Absolutely. Because uh, you know their their uh, physical sales have been dropping precipitously. Unfortunately, while it's a great business decision, without the 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 storyline behind, so it... I'm
2: going to say a good story to go with it.
4: Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean that's the other half of the equation, and they've blown it. Well, they're also going to have. So.
6: Why not? I don't. I don't think so at all because the whole point of a reboot is to drop all of those old storylines and allow new authors and new artists to take these characters in a new direction and I think that's great because when you when you get rid of all of that chaff um, the, the people working on those stories aren't weighed down by the history first
0: of all I'm sure that the uh, other people who've worked on those stories are absolutely thrilled by you calling their work chaff <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, how many more ways do you think they can take Batman seriously?
4: How many more ways do you think they can honestly take Superman? Well, that's a good point.
6: Because Smallville happened. (laughs) uh, What was the name of the author that we had on who's doing the, the, uh, the, the story about Batman's parents?
0: That is an awesome question.
6: Um, wow! Because you've stumped, you stumped us all
5: right now. You, oh, that was Ben Hova, co-
6: right?
1: <laughs> no.
6: You constantly have, uh, you constantly have artists and writers taking characters in a new direction and doing something different with them. And what DC is basically saying is, we're going to do that for everything. We're going to allow all of this stuff to exist. I mean, they're not getting; they can't get rid of it. It's already out there. It's there. But. Now, their authors, their writers, and their artists don't need to worry about uh, engendering all of that comic book nerd rage that comes down on a series if they don't do it to the fan satisfaction. You mean expecting
0: continuity is too much to ask?
6: I was just seventy years of continuity. Yes. Well, well,
0: then maybe do you think it might be time to give it a rest?
2: I was going to say, you, let's talk about one more day, shall we? That's oh, all I'm going to say. No, one not. more no, day. No, no, no. Well, wait a minute. Thanks, us let's, let's
4: talk about the death of Superman. And how Which one? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, yeah. I mean, I love... go ahead,
5: X. No, so just death of Superman, I can sum up by an editorial cartoon I saw. It just shows this guy digging a grave, and Superman is sitting up in the grave going, not too deep yeah i mean that to (laughs) me that was the whole thing i mean then there was when he got married only four years after he died um and they just keep messing with it the thing is though we're coming up to a very major thing with superman because these creators families have won some lawsuits and they're going to keep the rights to certain aspects of superman and if they decide not to let dc have access then Superman will have to have a different costume and he may not be able to be called Clark Kent.
0: Which just emphasizes the point why bother? Think up a new superhero. I mean, let's face it, you can't get any lamer than Hawkman.
4: uh, Yeah, you can. yes, you can. Uh, Um, How about Plastic Man?
1: Hey.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Aquaman? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Alright, but I mean, true. thank you. Wow. But let's face the fact that it's hard to tank harder than they've already tanked.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it but, I mean, really
6: is to go any deeper. I, you're, I completely what you're agree seeing with DC. What you're seeing with the business of DC is a company that understands that over the course of the past, you know, almost 80 years, they've they've expanded their their body of material so much. That there is absolutely no way to coalesce it into a into a workable body of, of fiction. They can't they can't sell it as easily as Marvel can with what they're doing. They're not they're not able to um, control all the aspects of their franchises because they're so intertwined and connected to each other and to other series that they don't have any control over. So there's this just is another
2: to, this is another good, good reason. This, to read independent comics. Absolutely. You don't get reboots in independent comics. Thank you.
6: You don't. Yeah, you also You're... don't get a series
4: that lasts for 80 years. But
0: do you want a series that lasts for 80 years?
4: Honestly? That, that, and that's cool. another good question. There are some characters and if, if you look at uh, uh, let's, you know, put Marvel and DC side by side for a second because they're pretty much the two, you know, tent poles of the comic book industry. There are some characters. If you look at uh, Superman and Batman on the uh, on the DC side, and there are a couple of characters that you can pretty much walk that same walk with on the uh, Marvel side. Can you not?
0: I don't understand what you just said.
2: I understand what you mean, Dome. Yes,
0: you're right. So, so I mean, no one, no one's saying that DC and it, like, Marvel's way that much better than DC. I don't think anyone's saying that.
4: No. Well, I, in fact, I'm saying that I <laughs> think they are. Because I'm saying that, the, you know, the, the Marvel Universe right now is at a really good good point where they've got a lot of titles and a lot of them are working really well. They retire titles when they don't or mix them in with other characters mm-hmm. and bring in new characters all the time. That's one of the things that I've always liked about Marvel. And as a matter of fact, Marvel is just taking one of their tentpole series and they're ending it. Uncanny X-Men. Well, that's because releasing
0: lamer and lamer movies is kind of hobbling the series.
4: And that's where I disagree with you, too, because X-Men First Class is actually... Pretty good. It's not a great movie, but it's a pretty good one, I think. It's
2: a good movie. It's a very
5: good movie. Yep. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yep. I think it's the best one in the series. You don't think
0: the actor who played Xavier was just a little too twinky?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: he reminded me of that guy Hugh. What's his name? Hugh Grant. Yeah. Oh
5: my exactly. God. All can see now is Twinkie the kid acting against January
2: Jones?
0: That's not. That's
1: that's not what I meant by that's Twinkie, not- sweetheart. I
0: know,
2: but still. January, jo- January Jones was the best pick to play Emma Frost.
0: Ever oh, I I agree with you. I happen to wholeheartedly
6: agree with you, but the part that
2: that woman ever plays? I'm talked. pretty sure
6: that January Jones <laughs> is yeah, an X Men character. Same
2: character she plays heartless bitches that's what she's good
6: at <laughs> far be it
0: for me to say that i did not enjoy her performance as on frost <laughs> because i did
4: we're not we're, we wouldn't believe that for a minute
0: but Why? as a whole the movie was lamer than the last one and they just keep going downhill
4: i don't know see i i, but I what think you're seeing
6: what you're seeing is in effect an industry that is grabbing it at straws trying to save itself because it's it's not doing as well as it could the only real money that's coming into the industry is coming in through the movie franchises through all of that's why they don't
5: care if they reboot everything because it's the characters that count um it's like when a few years ago marvel had a restaurant open up a themed restaurant and not only was it all decked out in superheroes but you could also buy t-shirts Toys, props, and some kid asked, "Where are the comic books?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and there weren't any because it never occurred to them.
0: You know what, though? I think I think the lesson that they're gonna learn the hard way is that it's not all about the characters. And if you take the characters and you wipe them and then you turn them into something totally different, it's not going to matter that they still look the same, what cowl that they wear, the color of their cape, the size of their hot pants.
1: (laughs) It's not going to
0: matter because people are not going to go to watch crap and what they're putting out is crap.
4: I don't know. See, I think the jury's really out on on X-Men First Class. I wasn't talking about X-Men. I was talking about... Yeah, I was
0: talking about right. DC. About,
4: well, yeah, you know, the, the yeah, the DC stuff at this point, I, I can't even watch it. I am so afraid to go ev- even think about going to see Green Lantern at this point.
0: Wait. I kind but, of I kind of want to see Green Lantern, but...
6: Um, I just got a 3DS, and I watched the trailer in 3D. And I'm sorry. It's pretty neat. <laughs> it, it's pretty neat. I'm just saying. Well,
5: now, on the other <laughs> hand, though, now let's... I think what it comes down to is good writing, good storytelling is always going to win out, because let's look at Doctor Who on the other end of the spectrum. There's a, yep. there's a series that reboots itself every time they get a new actor.
4: Yep, you're absolutely right there. And
5: more often than not, it's excellent.
0: But you know what, they don't completely reboot themselves because well, the
4: not way a reboot no, yeah. no, no, no,
0: because all the stuff that happened before still happened they're not trying to claim that it didn't they're not like well you know what we're not gonna have batman's parents die forget about all that uh that that didn't happen you know he didn't he didn't lose his hand hand job doctor never happened uh
4: (laughs) (laughs) rose is back whoa Whoa. hand job doctor
0: that's what he's called
4: (laughs) yeah why you
0: no one else calls him that (laughs) no. <laughs> oh wait wait,
4: wait, wait This minute <laughs> quick, quick fast quote Anybody now, calls him Handjob doctor Besides Creon <laughs> Okay, fine Just want to Get that out there Screw
0: you all <laughs> Handjob doctor That's what he's called Oh my
4: <laughs> so. No, I mean No, but you're right In that respect Even though the doctor Uh goes through the reboot, the regeneration, and we get new companions all the time. There's still a level of canon that continues, uh, even though they've now said he can regenerate as many damn times as he pleases.
0: Well, whatever. You know, they were always going to say that. As long as... You you
4: knew when they got up against that last number.
0: Uh, Yeah, well...
6: (laughs) The new writers of Doctor Who, well, I mean, the writers of Doctor Who, play fast and loose with canon all the time.
4: They absolutely do. They They do
6: ignore things that they don't want to deal with and so do comic book writers they completely ignore things that they don't want to deal with they take uh, uh pieces from the past that they want to incorporate and and they do that and i think that you know that's an interesting element to comic book writing but if you don't have the experience i don't have the experience with the last 80 years of superman nor do I want to go back and reread them because I've just, you know, finished the fourth season of Doctor Who and <laughs> <Dr>. <laughs> my eyes out. And you were
4: warned not to do that, by the way.
6: But I mean, I, I think that what DC is doing ha- really has nothing to do with content. It has nothing to do with canon. It has nothing to do with, you know, preserving their their yeah. legacy. It has everything to do with making a good business decision and saying, okay. Um, We're going to start over because we want everybody to understand exactly what we're trying to do here. And Because we're making the switch to distributing in a new medium, um, we're going to start anew. Because what are they going to do? The same thing that Playboy did with all of their back issues? There are hundreds of thousands of issues of DC Comics. There's no way they could make them available.
0: You know what, though? I mean, if they're going to reboot every time they move to a new medium... They better start rebooting a lot.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Honestly.
1: We'll see what
5: happens.
4: Well, I mean, the bottom line is always going to be content. The bottom line is always going to be, are you telling a good story? DC hasn't really been telling good stories lately. Unless you're on Fox, and then they'll bump you after a season. That's right. Fox is the only network that doesn't care about telling good stories. You can ask Uncle Joss about that anytime you want.
0: Oh, and also evidence of that house is still somehow on. Um,
6: it's, the, it's the highest grossing, grossing show across the world. Oh the my god! Most making show in the entire world. And
0: it sucks. <laughs> but, um, wow. Now what Fox about the
2: spin-off series? Also, Shed?
6: Fox although they may not care about good content, they are doing an animated King Kong from King Kong's point of view.
5: Oh! Yes, they are. How odd
4: is that going to be? Seriously. And he
5: talks in that. We get to hear Kong's thoughts. Because, oh. you know what? That's what was missing from the original. <laughs>
4: no, that, <laughs> no, that's what was missing from the Jack Black version. Clearly. Uh, uh, and the I'm Dina sorry, version.
6: I'm kind of interested in the inner dialogue of King Kong as he grabs <laughs> the lady out of the window on the building. <laughs> um, Just saying. Somebody, I want to know what the motivation hey, is there. You're the one. I'm going
2: to put on my fez.
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh, madam, I'll
5: put you back in... Oh, whoop, whoop. Oh. Butterfingers.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. Oh, my you. God. If we do live in strange times, do we not?
2: This yeah. sounds more like something on Siffy.
4: It's Totally.
6: You know what sounds yeah. like something on Siffy, though? Uh, not Segway! Just
2: the, not just the human
6: <laughs> caterpillar, but the human caterpillar 2, which... Caterpillar
2: oh, boy. or
5: Centipede. Oh, I'm sorry. The
6: The, uh, the human caterpillar is a whole different <laughs> yeah, movie. The human caterpillar is <laughs> a
4: kind of warm and fuzzy movie. There's, it's the sequel.
6: <laughs> it's the sequel or the prequel to Mothman. Um, <laughs> The Human Centipede 2 On the other hand (laughs) Has been been The the British Board of Rating or whatever the rating board That decides what the rating of uh, Movies in Britain should be Has rejected The Human Centipede 2 Because And uh, I'm going to read this Um, Somebody needs to read it. it The film links Violence and sexual arousal in an unacceptable way.
2: Because there are acceptable ways, apparently.
1: (laughs) Well, clearly, if you've seen
4: British TV, there are clearly acceptable ways. (laughs) (laughs) The really
6: great thing about this this story, though, is that the director wrote (laughs) a response, and he said, "Um, Thank you, BBFC, for putting spoilers of my movie on your website, and thank you for banning my film in this exceptional way. Apparently, I made a horrific horror film. But shouldn't a good horror film be horrific? My dear, my dear people, it is an effing movie. It is all fictional, not real. It is all make-believe. It is art. Well... With people their own choice to watch it or not.
4: What makes that even stranger is uh, what, what else happened in Britain this week in uh, Leicester City Council... Uh, was asked to explain its emergency plans for a zombie invasion. Yay! Literally, uh, concerned citizen Robert Ainsley lodged his query on Tuesday asking, Can you please let us know what provisions you have in place in the event of a zombie invasion? Having watched several films, it's clear that preparations for such an event is poor and that councils throughout the kingdom must prepare for it. Okay, so... We're we're clearly not having a total grasp on reality here. Somebody and watched not, Shaun
2: of the Dead way too much.
5: Yeah, <laughs> they're really. Exp- <laughs> oh my
6: god. Our our grasp on reality is about is about as good as uh, Dome's British
4: accent.
1: Thank you, much. <laughs> <laughs> oh snap!
4: Java, don't forget to bite me.
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs> now, uh, hey, uh, now. I think okay. every city across the world should have a plan for a zombie invasion. Good In night. fact, I myself am a zombie invasion consultant, and my fees are very reasonable.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Please oh write my. to AwakeByJava by Java at SciFiSaturdayNight.com. dot com. We look forward to your emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what else are we going to deal with? Hey. Well, I- no- Okay, I got a question for you. How many of you saw Tron Legacy?
5: We did. I'm raising my hand.
4: Okay. Uh, Java, no? No. Did you see the original Tron? Oh, yeah, of yes. course. Okay. Um, how do you feel about a sequel? Seriously. A to Tron Legacy? Meh.
1: Meh
5: need one it doesn't need one i mean they didn't the original didn't need a sequel to begin with it, it perfectly captured
4: 1982
1: and
2: atari 2600s yes yes <laughs> <laughs> oh there he goes now it's gonna get all moist in here
4: thanks <laughs> robots 4k <laughs> technology oh man you no. know,
6: video games have come a long way, though. And actually, um, E3 is going on right now, which is the the large uh, video game
4: conference in California. Captain Segway takes it again. Go for there it. There are,
6: there are, there is a ton of news about video games, and most of it is dealt with by video game bloggers. Uh, you know, to an extreme, but which you
0: could be can, if you wrote a blog post. But I'm
6: um, pumped. <laughs> uh, uh, there are two I- items of news that I think are really interesting.
2: Oh, we slipped past that one.
6: <laughs> the, the first one is that um, if you've been following, they've been doing a reboot, or they've been doing a video game series based on Back to the Future, um, and it's being done by Telltale Games, who are the people who did uh, Secrets of Monkey Island. Yes, cool game. The, well, the reboot of that. You might be yeah. thinking of the old one, but then, the reboot of it. And um, I actually just got one because it was free on the iPad right now. The first episode, and they are awesome games. But the news that's come come out of E three is that Michael J. Fox is going to be doing a voice for several characters in the series before it ends. Really? So we're going to see Michael J. Fox, or at least hear him um, in a video game, which is going to be really cool.
4: It definitely be cool to have Marty McFly back, <laughs>
1: huh. and
6: I, I think he's going to be playing one of the uh, you know ancestors of the McFlys, but um, we'll see it's definitely a good series and worth checking out, especially because right now the first episode is free on iPad so very cool all of what? our
0: listener who has
6: ipads <laughs> uh, it's and also for those- on, I think it's also available on Steam, so you can play it yeah. on the p c as well so that too um and but the I think probably one of the coolest uh uh you know things that I've always wanted to do as a video game player, but no one's ever done satisfactorily is to have a lightsaber battle because there have been yes. plenty of Star Wars games out there and they all suck. <laughs> at, at okay. Least, at wow. least, it, you know, I think well, the last seriously. Part of this game, seriously, they all suck. Uh, the, the last, the last Star Wars game that I really enjoyed playing um, was probably Tie Fighter. It was a, it was a flight simulator game, but yeah, yes, um, yes, um, there, I there completely some good, agree. There were some good lightsaber dueling games in the uh, early two thousands, but you always felt a disconnect. So, what Microsoft has done, actually, I'm not sure what the studio is, um, but they've made a, a game that uses the Microsoft Xbox Connect to allow you to play. With your uh, uh, with your body, um, I'm sorry. Uh, play with the <laughs> um,
5: <laughs> allows you to play with your body.
6: Yeah, you, you basically if you, <laughs> if you remember the uh, internet meme of Star Wars kid where he was spinning around. Oh yes, around- yes. <laughs> yeah, now you can do that, and it'll control uh, your character on the screen. Um, so you can look stupid like everyone else.
4: <laughs> but so my question, is
6: cool in, 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 uh, in play test people have said that it's kind of janky but hey you know it's a step
4: yeah and that was going to be my question is the technology really there yet to be able to do this in a way that makes it satisfactory, cool fun and easy all at the same time
3: no
1: Well,
4: yeah is- but we're getting closer
1: yeah. yeah
4: we're a hell of a lot closer than we were 10 years ago but then again, we're a hell of a lot closer to a lot of stuff than we were ten years ago. This
2: is true. Yeah. Hey,
5: you know what? Getting back to uh, talking about blogging for a second, yeah. I do just want to give a shout out to our, um, you know, our new group of bloggers that are on our site.
4: Holy crap! They are, yes, <laughs>
5: they are putting out some consistently great articles on our website. You know. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, guys.
4: yeah, you guys are doing a wonderful job if If you've ever wondered about uh string theory and and uh multiple universe theory, yeah. uh yeah we've got an article or, on it this week yeah, interesting.' to give a completely
5: wrong opinion about the
4: Daleks <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the problem is that they're always wrong when it comes to opinions like that, isn't it? It, uh, well, of course.
5: <laughs> there's mine and there's everyone else's.
4: Speaking of Daleks, uh, Roy Skelton, the yes. voice of the Daleks, uh, died this week. Boy, there's Man. another one we've lost.
2: There's three. That's
5: the third classic uh, Who character in a while. You well, know, I this guess year. that's our three then,
2: as they we say. We had the
5: Brigadier, Sarah Jane Smith, and now Roy Skelton. And, um, you know, it rem- when I saw that, it reminded me, Dome. do you remember when way back on terrestrial radio, uh, when we interviewed, um, Amber Benson,
4: I remember it well, and, yes. and <laughs> I, I almost
5: fell off my chair because she mentioned that she had done an audio, um, series with Roy Skelton, Roy Skelton. and I actually right. knew who That's it was. Right. And I was like, Oh my God. You've been working with Roy Skelton, the Dalek, and she goes yes. And I, yes, yeah, was. Did uh, she put up anything on her blogs or anything?
4: I haven't seen anything. He he did some of the voices in uh, the radio version of Ghosts of Albion.
5: Thank you. Oh. Yes, that's where that's where they collaborated.
4: Yes.
2: Hi Amber, we love you. <laughs>
6: <laughs> so, uh, are we all caught up on Doctor Who?
4: Um, uh,
2: some no. of us are not. Spoilers.
4: Spoiler no, we, we cannot talk about River Song until next week. We, we've, but we've reached
6: the midpoint in the series, and I just have to say that I think that all of the hubbub around the earlier part of the series concerning, you know, people like there's not enough information and no one knows anything, I'm sorry, completely
4: blown out of the water by the last episode. Totally correct. Totally correct. Awesome. I have never been so happy to uh, to see as much information come through an episode as I was last week, absolutely amazing. the The episode "A Good Man Goes to War" is airing tonight. Is airing tonight in the U- in the U.S. So don't
0: in- say anything about it.
4: No, I'm not going to. I absolutely am not. But it's an absolutely amazing, amazing episode, and I no. cannot. Cannot wait to talk about it next week.
5: My uh, my brother's up visiting from Denver, and I showed him the Neil Gaiman episode.
4: Yes, <laughs> and he goes,
5: and he goes, wow. He's not the doctor, <laughs> and, and I was like, explain. And he says, he just he he's he acts like the band the Pixies. He's soft. He's loud. He's soft. He's loud. He's all his body language is all over the place. He calls people sexy. This is not something that any of the other earlier doctors would have done. Mm. Huh. Interesting take.
1: Hmm.
4: Wow. That is an interesting. Very interesting take.
5: So it's like, okay, okay, but he's still the doctor. Or is (laughs) he? A hero, I hear, like you know, I, you know, if he was a comic at DC, he'd be rebooted in a few months anyway. That's so.
1: right.
4: There you go. Uh, uh.
0: <laughs> actually, actually, he's not because he's good for another year. So,
4: That's and true. the Doctor <laughs> comics yeah. on our IDW.
5: That's true too.
4: Well, not not only did uh, they pick up Doctor Who for another season, but uh, uh, Captain Jack uh, was tweeted uh, this week as saying. There is plans for a crossover episode. Yay! Yay. Good. Clint, Good. Torchwood and Doctor Who.
0: You know he has a name other than Captain Jack.
4: John Barrowman. No, he does Good job. But uh, <laughs> there's only one Captain Jack. Well, no, not true. It's still Jack Sparrow. There's several. Yeah. Well. I think we all knew when I say Captain Jack that I wasn't referring to Johnny Depp.
5: Although, wouldn't he be interested in Torchwood?
4: No! Uh No!
5: no.
6: Actually, yes! Yeah, fantastic. I would watch that. Oh, my God.
2: I'll take any reason to see Johnny
6: Depp. Johnny Depp is a fantastic actor. I mean, he is. Yeah, he doesn't have just one
0: character that he plays over and over again. Not even and a
6: little.
4: Was a, <laughs> it's but that's okay. Wow.
0: <laughs> it's gotten a little swishy in his old age.
4: I think. Hey, Torchwood did a really, really interesting thing this week.
0: Uh, but I think it's going to have to wait till next week because it's 8.33.
4: Yeah, it looks like we're going to have to. It's a shame because I've lost my Captain Segway status.
0: You so never well. had it. That's
4: very true. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. We
2: have segues.
5: <laughs> Dome, you want to do the honors?
4: Awkward. I would like to introduce to you L. Neal Smith, author extraordinaire. Neal, good afternoon, evening. Where Where are you located, by the way? Colorado. Colorado, huh? so it's early evening oh. in Colorado, not in yeah, early evening. Early
3: evening. <laughs> okay. Let me, let, me, let me say something before we start this sure sure I write indie I write indie comics and anybody who wants to reboot me will be looking over their shoulder for the rest of their lives <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah, good for you good for you
3: good way to if you want it. to see if you want to see some of that stuff go to bigheadpress.com
4: <laughs> there we
3: go we'll, we'll so put, put up Bob, quick, think, Big Head Press. yeah I got about four um, graphic novels there some of them are available in dead tree form and some are not
5: <laughs> but you won't be rebooting Wonder Woman anytime soon, right? <laughs>
1: no.
3: okay. I, I I wanted to say something while you guys were talking, but I decided I would I would wait because uh, the fact is I started reading comics in the in the fifties, and uh, I remember I remember the Blackhawks when they flew biplanes. Okay. And, wow. uh, yes. <laughs> They were in a. They were in a box. I had a cousin who was ten years older than I was, and and I read this box of comics of his, and and, and his the Blackhawk comics. He had they they flew biplanes, and my respect for the for the really old forms uh, is so much that I I agree. I mean, there's a failure of creativity here where they have to just bring the characters back again and again and again, and you know do them the literary equivalent of plastic surgery. That that speaks to very poor levels of creativity.
1: So.
4: Yeah. What do you think be happening with this stuff now? Seriously, I mean, what should what should DC be doing rather than what they're Making doing?
1: Making up new stuff,
3: exactly. uh, you know, hiring people to make up new stuff. Yeah,
5: that's something we didn't talk about. Is that uh, for the reboot that's happening? They're they're not bringing in new writers. Yeah, well, that's, all that's all one on the right there. Yeah, it's all seasoned writers, seasoned artists, and it's like, well, where's the creativity going to come
3: from? Well, people who are seasoned can be creative, but not in that kind oh, yeah. of environment. Not with those strictures on you. Uh, you know, I've been—I have been writing for for novels for 33 years. Uh, my first novel, *The Probability Brooch*, is still in print, and it's also in uh, in graphic novel and comic book form. Uh, and uh, so I've been around, and I've been doing all kinds of different stuff. But uh, I have consistently tried to avoid getting into into a straitjacket, and, and I had to leave quite a few publishers who, you know, they take you in at first because you're different. You speak with a different voice than anybody else ever has, and they like that about you. And then they spend the rest of your career with them trying to make you like everybody else.
2: <laughs> and, uh, there we so go. I
3: decided I didn't need that, and, and uh, so I've been through most of the Northeastern uh, publishers who do science fiction, but now I do everything with, uh, with Big Head Press or with uh, Phoenix Pick. And I'm happy as a client because uh, they don't try to, either of them, try to do that to me.
4: Now, it's interesting. Uh, you're, you're known uh, to your readers and fans as El Neal, And mm-hmm. you, you also have the non diplume of being the libertarian science fiction writer and political activist.
3: Or nom de guerre. <laughs> nom de guerre.
4: Okay, we'll go with that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am I am in indeed that. I started writing A because I hadn't read really anything voluntarily as a kid except science fiction. I, I recognized right away that science fiction was the last living literature of ideas and they wanted me to read the script, you know, the damn Scarlet Letter or uh, uh Silas Marner or you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, and I mean I enjoyed Moby Dick a lot, uh, but that's a great a great, great story. The uh, you know, uh, I I want nobody ever asked me to read Raymond Chandler when I was in high school. That's a big mistake. So I started writing science fiction, and I wanted to change things in libertarian direction. I mean, the whole object of that is simply to return control of people's lives to themselves. That's I mean, that sums up libertarianism right there. And I wanted to write. I wanted to advance that idea the same way that that uh, H. G. Wells attempted to advance socialism for his work, or, you know, Edward Bellamy, who wrote the worst uh, socialist novel ever written called Looking Backward. And the way Ayn Rand advanced uh, uh, freedom ideas in, in Anthem and, and Atlas Shrugged, which most people don't realize, is a science fiction story. And so I wanted to do that, and they came together in in, in this book I uh, initially called the Constitution Conspiracy, but by the time I finished it, it was called The Probability Brooch, and it was bought by the first publisher who, uh, who read it. So that's what got me started. It was published in, it says 1980, but it was actually published in December of 79. And since then, I've, I've written 30 odd more books. Pretty odd, too.
4: <laughs> now, it's interesting because on the one hand, uh, you're, you're best known for uh, The Probability Brooch, which is essentially an alternate history uh yeah and you're also uh to an entire different genre known as the writer of the lando calrissian novels
1: <laughs> well it's
3: just, it's just a different corner of the same genre i mean uh i quite frankly i got to a point where uh, i was offered the job and i needed the money so i said sure i'll do this and and uh they said, uh, OK, but no politics, no politics, which I, which I interpreted to mean as much politics as I could cram in before they started whimpering. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, Lando, my Lando is an anarchist and uh, he, a smuggler and uh, all kinds of good things like that and, and, uh, and a gambler. And, and uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't fun to write them. I wrote those novels, all three of them, in nine weeks. Wow. Oh, my God. I, wow. I, I originally had 16 weeks, uh, which is still an awful tough schedule for three books. Um, but um, between Delray Books, which is a division of Random House, and Lucasfilm Limited, they piddled around um, not approving my outlines and, and blew away all but nine of the weeks. So for nine weeks, I didn't do anything but eat and sleep and write. And uh, um I always, you know, I think of that as a certain kind of watershed in my career. I'm not sure now um, that I could do that physically, but uh, I did it then, and uh, people still, uh, you know, I get fan mail uh, from those uh, from those books just as much as I do from from my other books. I also write nonfiction, by the way. I uh, I wrote a book of essays in 2001 called Lever Action. And I'm just about to uh, publish a book called uh, Down with Power, uh, which is a a sort of continuum of of libertarian uh, policy. I I, I wanted to write a book that was not about theory, but about policy, what what we would do. So Down with Power is about that. You can find that on the net, too. Uh, Go to uh, downwithpower.com and separate the words down with power with dashes. So if anybody wants to see what I do in my copious spare time, that they can see that.
1: How
5: do
3: you have spare time when you're writing all the
1: time?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, I really don't. I mean, I, 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 I wake up in the morning thinking about the writing, and, and I go to bed at night thinking about the writing, and, and I won't, you know, hold that up. as particular virtue. It's just me. Raymond Chandler. Do you guys know who Raymond Chandler was? Totally. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He was yeah, he wrote detective novels. Absolutely, yeah.
4: hard-boiled detective series. Very good. good. I mean, uh, gorgeous novel. He, You know, he was—he
3: was sort of the successor to Dashiell Hammett, who wrote Sam
2: Spade. Right. And, right.
3: Uh, but anyway, uh, Chandler said the only salvation for a writer is to write. And it's true. I mean, I feel really weird and strange when I'm not writing. Uh, I, it's almost impossible for me to take a vacation.
4: So how does science fiction and libertarianism work together?
3: Well, you have to understand that science fiction was born as a medium of expression for the left. Uh, Science fiction is the format in which the left made promises about the wonderful world of socialism to come, okay? Um, But the writer early on who didn't do that was Jules Verne. Jules Verne was... Uh, concerned with the wonders of technology, but H.G. Uh, Wells. It's funny about Wells because he wrote really—I mean, I don't need to tell you—he wrote really excellent stories, and he got so carried away with the stories that sometimes he forgot to propagandize. So his most propagandistic <laughs> novel, his most propagandistic novel, is called *When the Sleeper Wakes*, and hardly everybody, everybody, puh, hardly anybody has ever read it. So, you know, they know the time machine and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah invasion from Mars, you know, War of the Worlds, that is, and stuff like that. So anyway, um, uh, socialism lost its credibility. I mean, it lost it uh, to a great extent when uh, Hitler and Stalin made a pact, a non-aggression pact, and then later on, everywhere in the world, because it adopted socialism, people were starving to death or being shot, Uh, and this is not exactly a utopian future. And I recognize that we are trying to build a future that results from people owning and operating their own lives. Uh, and what would be, that be like? Uh, I've taken several hacks at that because obviously, if you have individuals, they're going to create different worlds. I mean, everybody hates the same stuff. Everybody hates to be cold. They hate to be hurt and all that stuff. But but different people like different things. So all you have to do is look at the internet and see that. And uh, <laughs> Uh, so I took a hack in the probability approach at writing one kind of society in which people have, have owned their lives for a long time. And then I did it again in the Forge of the Elder series, and I did it again in what I call the New Family Saga, such of palace and series, and I've got two more books. So that, that right. is how you pronounce that? What, which, uh, which one? The New. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I can't say it exactly right, but I've got a good friend whose name is Nguyen, and uh, so I try to do it as you know, how she does it, <laughs> but I don't do it very well. But, yeah, that's close. That's close. And, and you know, so uh, I, I tried to write several different ways that a free society could work out. And, uh, and I'll keep doing that for quite a while.
5: Hmm. Interesting. Now, tell us a little bit about your latest book,
3: What's uh, one that's coming out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I'm I said, taking a slightly, a slightly different approach now. In in that, I wanted to write a book. There's a the, the only rule of libertarianism is you don't get to initiate physical force against anybody else for any reason. Now, there's initiate, we're not against self-defense. In fact, I'm regarded as a sort of a world expert on the ethics of self-defense, and and I consider myself the gunniest of all science fiction writers and the gunniest of all libertarian writers. And uh, I was a gunsmith for quite some time, and my firearms information is always
1: accurate. um
3: But I wanted to write a book in, in which uh, you take the worst case. Can a person not initiate force, can a person be ethical if they're a vampire? And that's Sweeter Than Wine. That's my novel, Sweeter Than Wine. It's coming out uh, ah. J- July 13th from, uh, from Art Manor or from uh, uh, Phoenix Pick. It's, uh, it's all one thing. And uh, and that's my my attempt to uh, uh, you know he's a, he's sort of a boy next door he's, he he grew up in rural Illinois in a town that I happened to be in in fourth grade my dad was in the Air Force and we moved around a lot and uh, he's part of D-Day landing and uh, he gets separated from his unit and uh, ends up in a, a cellar a wine cellar in a little French town Germansville, who runs the town and discovers in the darkness that he's not alone. And that's, that's the story. And the rest of it is a kind of uh, a lost love for returning to him after 65 years and all that. Did you want me to read some of this? Please. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah, that would be awesome.
3: All right, well, he explains that, that it's, uh, it's a virus. Okay, he's done a lot of research. And, and he's talk, talking more or less now. He's 90 years old, but he looks 24. And he's acting sort of as a private detective in, uh, in a small town uh, uh, or a small city uh, north of Denver called Longmont. I actually call it uh, uh, New Prospect because I wanted to uh, combine elements of Longmont and my hometown, which is Fort Collins.
1: He says, sorry to
3: deromanticize it, but there you are. It is, as they say, what it is. It's a very old, very primitive, very large virus that you can actually see for yourself if you have a fairly good optical microscope. I got my dose a couple of weeks after D-Day, having unexpectedly survived the terrors of Omaha Beach. I got separated from my unit. I was a second lieutenant, and I guess nobody missed me, and wound up alone in the picturesque little uh, French village about 20 minutes before it got overrun by the bad guys, trying to arrange a resurgence against the invasion. In a little postcard-perfect but abandoned house, it didn't take long to discover a cleverly concealed wine cellar. The French had made a fine art of hiding their best stuff from the soldiers of all nations. Behind a false wall in the basement, outside it was bright and sunny, houses surprisingly pristine in their whitewashed glory, I pulled the fake wall into place behind me and sat in the dank, stuffy, musty-smelling darkness for an hour, trying to figure out what to do next. Before I really noticed it, I wasn't smelling mildew anymore, but... Something else, something elusive, evocative, giving me a feeling that I was, uh, uh, that was all wrong, considering where I was and what was going on. Outside, I could hear the Huns in combat boots stomping up and down the little street. I could hear the occasional car and even an armored personnel carrier, once or twice aircraft that didn't sound like our own flew overhead. And still the sensation that was half aroma and half imaginary spiders crawling up and down my neck uh, persisting. I spotted where I was, one hand on my sidearm arm and a slap tissue holster, thinking how a good how good a drink of wine would be right now if I could only make myself move. Move! I whirled and reached behind me in the darkness, my outstretched hand landing on something I hadn't felt since Tally Danforth had given me a spectacular send-off in her father's hayloft the day after I'd graduated from local Aggie College and enlisted in the United States Army. That Hitler was going to get his now that I was in the fight. My hand, it seemed had found a breast, a very warm, very soft, moderately large breast. A left breast, to be precise, under what felt to me like a uniform shirt. For some reason, I didn't withdraw my hand immediately. Normally, I'm somewhat bashful, and that would have been my reflective response at any other time on any other day in any other war. But I kept it where it was, instead enjoying what it was feeling. A soft voice said, ''Do you like that one? I have another very similar.'' And That's how he meets the the woman who sires him.
1: <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs>
3: she's a she's a Romanian pilot, um, and at some point he asks, "Well, what about the other members of your unit? Are uh, are they vampires too?" And and she says, "No, but they're Romanian and they understand these things." So <laughs>
1: she she, she, fl- she flies
3: it she flies at night, but she has screwed her little airplane into the ground. Uh, near this village, too, and she's been hiding there, and they enjoy four or five weeks together. They don't have anything to eat. All they've got is a whole, break, a whole cellar full of wine and each other. And that's how they meet. And then he loses track of her uh, after the Allies come through and doesn't see her again for 65 years. That's, wow. and when she does, when, he, when he does, she does show up, she's got uh, something pretty terrible following her. You think those kind of readings are.
2: Those kind of Pardon readings me? are what I was going to say. Those kind of readings are what keep our listeners listening. So, uh,
5: <laughs> and, you know, I think the burning question with all of our listeners right now is, please, please tell us they don't
3: sparkle. <laughs> if they sparkled, my daughter would kill me. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you know we. Uh, I, my, uh, my, uh, my vampire training is old school, Hammer films and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and also I was a uh, completely uncritical fan of Buffy. I confess I it freely. Um. What's and, not uh, to but, love? Come on. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. So I also we'll like, uh, do you remember a very short live, uh, series called Moonlight? Oh my God, uh, yeah. What a great that series was, that was. It no. was, and it was destroyed by the writer's strike, I'm told. Um, I really yeah, enjoyed it, that. I was, I was prepared not to like it, because I started um, Sweeter Than Wine about 25 years ago. And then suddenly, on TV, there was this thing about this vampire who was a uh, homicide detective for the Toronto police. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, that was Forever, Forever Night. Forever Night. So Dad, I put it, I a, put it a, on the shelf, you know. Well,
6: wait, you the didn't have difference,
3: difference, yeah, a
5: person no. named Skanky, did you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, there you go. Anyway, uh, 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 I put it on the shelf because of that. And also, I had an agent at the time who didn't want me to, I mean, he had me in a niche. I'm a science fiction writer and I can't do anything else. Technically, sweeter than wine is science fiction. There's no mysticism in it at all, um, and it's as I said, it's a sort of a tr- uh, an exercise in, in ethics. Although it's uh, sexy and violent, and uh, I think a good time will will be had by all. I, I can hardly wait until it comes out. I um, I like the characters, and and uh, I'll be very interested to see what people think of, of the characters in to- in terms of who should play them in movies and stuff like that. So I think I have a better may have a better crack at the movies with this book than with any of my others. Awesome vampires being all popular at all
4: right yeah they are right now they are pretty much all the rage <laughs>
3: well i was told 20 years ago that vampires were over and nobody was interested in them right they're yeah. like the tide person...
2: they go in and out yeah same with zombies
3: <laughs> well i, 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 I don't it, i have to confess i don't get the zombie thing but i will tell you the advising an english town on how to deal with zombies is kind of futile because they can't have any shotguns
4: yeah a good point there Good
3: point. I mean, David, this is, I I think it might be a plot by the zombies to disarm the British so that they'll be easy prey. (laughs) (laughs) And In fact, the last couple of administrations, the last couple of administrations have been clearly loved by zombies.
0: Well, you know, (laughs) we we can thank Sarah Palin for, you know informing us of the history lesson that Paul Revere was warning the British that they couldn't come take our guns away. So.
3: I need to tell you this, but she right. Yeah.
0: They cannot take our guns away.
1: Oh, yes, well, yes, I mean,
3: that, that, that's the whole thing about that day in history. The, uh, indeed, Paul Revere did ride partially to warn the British that they were in for a world of grief if they screwed around with us. And the British were there specifically that day. They sent two units of men, 1,200 men altogether, in two units of 600, up to seize the colonists' arms. And and so, uh, you know, everybody hates it, but the fact is, Palin was right about that. Right. on.
0: He rang those bells so hard. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I
0: I don't live there. <laughs> but. <laughs>
4: To the next town over. it's been really, really interesting talking to you tonight. We're looking forward to uh, your new book coming out, and the title of that book is Sweeter Than Wine.
3: Sweeter Than Wine. Than wine.
4: A zombie... And look, and look for down, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. A zombie novel of... Vampire. Love, vampire. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <a> vampire. <laughs> oh!
2: Sorry. Dome. Oh, Dome Dom.
4: Dom
0: is
3: too excited about the hayloft and the brass, I don't.
0: Know. Yeah. <laughs> I just. got- On off. that note. <laughs> We're done here. Well, I right,
3: thank you all very much. This has been this has been a great deal of fun. Thanks, yeah.
0: Pleasure.
3: Hey, X, you're up. Hey, it's that time.
5: Okay, folks, next week. Fresh from a stopover at Callahan's Crosstime Saloon. Author Spider Robinson will be joining us. Woo! Then on June 25th, Anthony Dell Call and Connor McCreary will get a nani nani with their hit comic series Kill Shakespeare. On July 16th, the extraordinary Matt Dursin and the League of Ordinary Gentlemen podcast will be here. On July 23rd, Ted Woods—you met him at the Boston Comic Con—now read his latest anthology fiction july 30th we get super knocked up with filmmaker jeff burns and crew (laughs) and on august 6th everett soars takes us on a grand adventure with the sky pirates of Valendor. sci-fi saturday night is the official podcast of the boston comic-con and of comic art house your one and only source for original comic artwork visit bob and kim at comicarthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists Tonight's outro music provided by Zenoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome?
4: Okay, it's been an interesting night! (laughs) From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, thank you for all that you do.
0: I can't run sounds while this is going. (laughs)
4: From the Four Color Vault (laughs) the Comics, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead.
0: Nighty-night! Night! Night.
4: And from Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor, thank you, Java! Or not.
1: I think he's muted
4: himself (laughs) once again! Because this is the Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. That was the name of my planet, it's also what it was made out of.